0: The biggest names in tech reported this week, and tis the season for hot takes on Halloween candy. we got thoughts on all that and a lot more. Motley Fool Money starts now.
1: Everybody needs money, that's why they call it money.
2: Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool
0: Money! It's the Motley Fool Money radio show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Motley Fool senior analyst Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. Good to see you, as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey, hey. It's Earnings Palooza. We've got the latest on some of the most widely held companies. And as always, we've got a couple of stocks on our radar. But we begin with Apple. Biggest tech companies in the world reported earnings this week, but the reaction to Apple's report was different than the rest. Shares up more than 7% on Friday after fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Jason, a little surprising when you consider How important the iPhone is to Apple's business, and iPhone revenue was more than half a billion dollars lower than expected.
2: Yeah, but Apple's kind of like pizza, right? I mean, (laughs) even when it's bad or it's not that great, I mean, it's still pizza, right? Same thing with Apple. It's still (laughs) Apple. Did they blow the doors off quarter? Nope, but it was still a pretty Apple like quarter. And so even if they underperformed, Anywhere in regard to expectations, I mean, you know, it was still a respectable quarter, right? Phones, services, yeah, they could have they could have done a little bit better, but it's not like these were bad results, and they point to a company that ultimately remains pretty darn resilient, even even in the face of a tough economic climate like we're in now. So, if you look at the numbers, I mean, revenue of $90.1 was up 8% from a year ago, and that includes 600 basis points of currency impact. Um, and to put some numbers around the fiscal year, fiscal 2022, $394 billion in revenue, 8% <laughs> annual growth. Uh, services uh, performed well, but probably not well enough in some eyes, $19.2 uh, billion versus $18.3 billion a year ago. So, 5% growth. And for a company we've been talking Talking about, you know, this is becoming a services company. That's not all that inspiring, but the flip side of that is they've got more than 900 million paid subscriptions across the services on their platform. That's up more than 155 million over the last 12 months alone, to double what they had three years ago. So they are. Pulling it off, I think they're just going to have to execute a little bit on the pricing side, and we're seeing that with music and streaming. Right, they're going to raise prices in music. That's primarily due to licensing costs. They're going to raise prices on streaming because they feel like it's a better offering now, and they can do it. Uh, Mac sales up 25 percent. iPad revenue was down 13 percent. Nothing terribly surprising there. Wearables slash home slash accessories that was up 10 percent. So, you know, I think all things considered, again, didn't blow the doors off off the quarter, but but a very 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 respectable quarter, particularly when you compare it to the other big tech names that we'll talk about. I wonder if I think
3: Apple's always going to benefit from the the power users of Apple, the people that will buy the new iPhone, the new Mac, at least every two years. And I'm just wondering to get your thought, if we do enter a slowdown of recession, consumer driven or not. You know, will they will their sales fall off just because people might delay buying that next iPhone or the next iPad?
2: I feel it. Maybe it does to an extent, but I think what we're seeing, I think a pretty common theme we're seeing this earnings season thus far is at least that the current economic conditions and any potential recession that comes down the pike here it seems to be impacting the 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 lower income earners as opposed to the higher end income earners, right? So, you know, Apple certainly benefits from that higher spender, right? That higher that higher earner. And and so it may delay, but I think ultimately that's a timing thing and if it does that, then you probably look at that as an opportunity to buy the stock.
0: Amazon's third quarter results showed slowing growth in the AWS division and the company lowered guidance for the all important holiday quarter shares of Amazon down ten percent on Friday. You tell me man, how bad was this? Well, <laughs> you know, not great. Um, I think you hit the two main things. It
3: comes down to AWS and guidance. I, I want to know if I could tell a quick story, really quickly, though, before we get to that, which is uh, July 2020. I, I, you know, owned Amazon for ten plus years. I had to sell shares first time because I was making a real estate investment, had some other things going on. I had to sell a bunch of things, and I. I sold half my amazon stake and i remember i trembled you know clicking the button to sell those shares cuz it's just i didn't, didn't want to do it and of course at that point this, the stock had kind of just gone over $3000 a share pre-split so but $150 post-split today and i was like you know i'm going to regret this i know i am and of course over the next year i watched the stock go up to i think 180 185 you know almost 4000 pre-split and i i just i was depressed about that <laughs> Watching the stock come, on, I never thought I would see the stock down on a post basis below hundred dollars a share, which it briefly did uh, this week after earnings. Uh, I'm excited about that, but I'm also realizing, you know, there there is something to why it's down, and and you hit it, which is. There is this—the Amazon Web Services part of this business has such been—it's been the crutch. Even though the retail business has held up, and if you look at the retail numbers, they were fine. I think it was up thirteen percent overall, which you know, given the maturity of the business, of that e-commerce business, pretty strong. But you see the slowdown in AWS, which is slower growing now than Google and Microsoft's competitors. The, I think the bigger thing might be the, that the operating margins of that business have come down quite a bit. And so, if that is the profit engine that is no longer there, or at least it's diminishing to a certain extent, that, I think, had a lot of investors worried. And then, of course, you said the guidance, looking at you know growth between 2 and 8%, I believe, on their guidance range over the fourth quarter, that is probably a
0: lot sharper than investors were expecting. Again, this is the holiday quarter. This is when people expect not just Amazon but all retailers to really make their bones. Did the range of the guidance surprise you? Because it struck me as wider than typically we hear from Amazon, and I just thought—and not that I fault them for this—but I thought on the low side they might be a little sandbagging. Probably a little bit, and I think Amazon. Is known for
3: this. I mean, I, I, you know, and they even said that their income projections would between, their operating income would be between zero and four billion. Right. (laughs) That's a tremendous range. I would not be surprised at all. I
0: think what you're getting at is if they come in the high end of those ranges when they actually report. Shares of meta platforms fell to their lowest level since 2016 this week after the company's third quarter report revealed just how much the company is investing in its metaverse division. Jason, we like it when CEOs communicate clearly. Mark Zuckerberg is being very clear about what he wants the future of meta platforms to be.
2: He is indeed, and that's we're going to see how that plays out. Uh, certainly, it's not a surprise that there are challenges on the advertising front. Um, at the end of the day, it is it is cyclical and it goes as the economy goes. So when those purse strings tighten, uh, ad budget ad budgets tighten tighten with them. Um, but but you said it. I mean, they're basically doubling down on this metaverse, uh, which right now is is still just a very squishy concept I mean you have Google with their moonshots right those other bets as they call them I mean for for meta for Facebook this metaverse bet is an all-in Pluto shot I mean it's so far out there that most people just can't see it and that's understandable so you know I'm not saying that it's a waste of investment dollars this probably works out in some capacity, but I think it's going to take a while, um, and there are understandable concerns that he's overdoing it, particularly when you look at the core business itself. Um, revenue was down. Uh, if you exclude currency effects, it was up 2%, so I think he'd take that. Um, bottom line, earnings down 40, 49% from a year ago, which is obviously not good. User growth, 4% was a positive. Daily active is up 3%. Uh, but But back to the ad market, while impressions were up 17%, price per ad continues to fall down 18% uh they are spending a ton of money though capital expenditures nine and a half billion dollars almost double from a year ago and guidance across the board not painting a very encouraging picture in the near term as expenses continue to go up and revenue continues to come down they repurchase about 32 million shares for the quarter at an average of about 203 dollars per share mm-hmm. and given where Facebook's price is today or meta I'm sorry uh, clearly that wasn't the wisest use of, of those dollars you know i'm not the biggest fan of of this company, I mean, I think most people know that. That said, I mean, honestly, from here, the stock is probably an opportunity for those who are able to take that longer view. It is really difficult to disrupt networks of that scale. I think that he will start to moderate those metaverse investments a little bit, but but investors should very be very prepared for a bumpy ride. Speaking of a
0: slowdown in ad spending, Alphabet's third quarter profits and revenue were lower than expected and really with the exception of Google Cloud, it was kind of across the board, Matt. Uh, shares of Alphabet down 7% this week. Right. I it's important to remember that I think for a lot of these
3: companies, especially in the ad space, the comparables from a year ago were were hard. They were going to be hard. I mean, if you look at Google's revenue for example in the year ago third quarter, up 41%. So the fact that they have any kind of growth at all over those numbers is, is, is pretty impressive. But you're right, it, it, there's definitely a slowdown here. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was just that the YouTube, the advertising revenue for YouTube was down. Uh, and maybe that was in the. I didn't follow the guidance, so I don't know if that was expected, but that felt like a little bit of a shock to me. I think that's been such a, a sticky platform that's that's always gaining popularity in my mind, but it looks like. And I don't use it, so I don't know. But it looks like TikTok is actually finally making some inroads, taking some market share from that you know that short form, medium term uh, form video. Um, so I feel like the you know, the ad slowdown is comparable. The tough comparables uh, comparables for last year are explainable. Um, I think the YouTube uh, slowdown is the thing to watch uh, here, and uh, and gosh, I wish Alphabet just just pay a dividend. I mean, you've got all <laughs> these other things, and I know there's other bets. The one thing I'll say about you know comparing Meta to to Alphabet is that the the thing I like about Google's approach is that these other bets are spread around a lot of different areas. Where yeah. I feel like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook Meta is an all it feels like an all-in bet, where it's not the case for Alphabet. At the same time, I'd rather they clamp down a little bit on that spending and maybe focus on dividends or other things.
0: Let me go back to YouTube for a second because I think that part of the reaction we saw was not just to the results themselves but to the fact that earlier this year Alphabet already pulled the lever with YouTube in terms of original programming where they said, "You know what? We tried this, it's not working. We're we're just going to pull this." And so the results we saw from YouTube become slightly more concerning when it's against the backdrop of like, oh, they've already cut the original programming. That's right. No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. Visa, Microsoft, and a lot more after the break. So stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. Visa's fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected and Visa must have some extra cash laying around Jason because they increased their dividend and announced a 12 billion dollar share buyback plan well
2: I mean I'm not complaining as a shareholder <laughs> I'll take it right I mean this was another very strong quarter and a good example of why I think Visa is worthy as a core fintech holding right I mean it was interesting in the call right through was a lot of recession talk in management clearly they're not planning for a recession in the coming year so maybe take that optimism with a great Of salt, right? If a recession does hit, we likely see them reassess the outlook. But I think counter to that is this is such a valuable network that leverages so many capabilities across the world. Given the tailwinds and the electronic movement of money, maybe they're a little bit more immune than others. But but to the numbers, I mean, the numbers were really strong. Fourth quarter net revenue up 19% from a year ago. Uh, Non-gap earnings per share, $1.93, up 19%. Total payments for the core, total payments volume was up 10% from a year ago, up 135% versus three years ago. Cross-border, which is an investment that Visa and MasterCard in particular continue to to, to make, Uh, those volumes were very encouraging, up 49% from a year ago and 130% versus three years ago. And then new flows, which is ultimately, it's beyond that Consumer to business payments that that they've always focused on, right? Broader movement of money around individuals, businesses, governments that was up over twenty percent for the quarter. And as you said, right, they they're going to continue buying back stock. They they bought back for the year eleven point six billion dollars in shares at an average price of just over two hundred and five dollars. Now the share count's down nine percent since two thousand and seventeen, and that's that's really that's the M O with owning this stock, right? They're going to continue to buy back those shares. Pay a modest dividend. I mean, it's a stock that has offered investors some real stability here this year, just down three and a half percent versus in the s and ps around twenty. So it's it's been a good one to own.
0: How much should we read into the fact that Visa doesn't think there's going to be a recession next year?
2: Yeah, again, I think that it's just one of those things that plays into that broader trend of the electronic movement of money. I think they benefit from that, but I would not be surprised if we do hit, that recessionary period. I mean, you likely see management maybe reassess their outlook a little bit.
0: Microsoft brought in more than fifty billion dollars in revenue in the first quarter, but shares of the software giant down a bit this week after guidance for the current quarter a little bit lower than Wall Street was hoping for. Matt.
3: Yeah, yeah, a lot lower. And maybe I'm surprised at the growth. I mean, they're guiding for growth of just two percent in the in the next quarter. That's that seems very low to me. I. And this was also, by the way, Microsoft's lowest rate of revenue growth in five years. Good news is you still have the Azure cloud business growing thirty five percent. It's it's become you know uh, it was sort of the the one that was trailing Amazon for for many years, but it's really it's maintained its growth. It's now growing faster than Amazon's uh, web services. out to me was. Uh, does, does anyone use LinkedIn around here because LinkedIn's <laughs> revenue was up 17% uh, I'm really surprised at that the, the sessions to LinkedIn were up 24 uh, percent you know that when when I remember Jason we were working on million dollar portfolio back in the day and when Microsoft acquired LinkedIn and I just thought you know this just seems like a, a real stab in the dark for Microsoft <laughs> who, who yeah. sort of missed the whole social networking you know this was their ch- chance to get in on that I think they've done a tremendous job with LinkedIn even though I I don't
0: use it very much. I don't. I don't really know many people that do. I'm
2: with you. I don't. uh, Every time I log into it, I wonder why did I just log into
0: this. (laughs) You know, there there has been a lot of job movement uh, in Uh, 2022, so I I think that's part of it. But uh, you know, take solace in the fact that you weren't the only ones. There were plenty of people um, looking at that acquisition. Back was it 26 billion dollars? That's my memory. That sounds about right. But you know, I remember thinking at the time, are they just bored? (laughs) Are they just like? Are they just? Are they just doing it to you know just to See, because it, 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 you know, to, to your point, Matt, in all seriousness, the way they have consistently monetized it, and it's really just been in, I think, the last couple of years that they've sort of broken that out and highlighted that. But yeah, right. it, it, it is kind of surprising when you look at the run rate on LinkedIn. Yeah, very impressive. Ford Motor posted a loss in the third quarter, but shares up 8% this week, in part because Ford executives said they are going to stop pouring money into their autonomous driving initiative, Jason. They were very clear about this. We're not doing this anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly the future for now is more EV and less AV, and I think shareholders have have reason to celebrate there. I mean, they they will continue to invest in the electric vehicle capability that they that they've developed, and they're the number two EV brand in the U.S. now. So I think that says a lot. I wouldn't say they've given up fully on autonomy, but management also recognizes it's a far more complex problem than some would have you believe. It requires more time, capital, capability. That would take them away from making sure that they focus on success in the near term with the things that they do really well, right? Building cars, right? And EVs are a little bit of a more natural extension, I think, at this point. The company's in great fiscal shape with $50 billion in total liquidity. And as they noted in the call, they're going to impair this investment in Argo, which ultimately was that that effort at L4 autonomy. And L4, right, if you remember, that's considered to be fully autonomous driving, although a huge. Human driver can still request control and the car still has a cockpit. And so they are going to continue to invest in autonomy, but there's going to be more L2 and L3, which ultimately just brings more human judgment into play there, right? And I think that makes a lot of sense because I think most of us agree, and I've been very critical of this move towards AVs because it to me it feels like the technology for the car, I think, is there. But we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the road system that can handle that at this point. And, and Matty, you said here earlier today in the production meeting, you got to kind of build a city that's geared for right. that that specific that specific uh, technology. There's so so far in the future, I think it makes a little bit more sense. But I really do appreciate that they're going to focus more on EV, more on the automobile, ratchet back on the autonomy a little bit, and and uh, and
3: move forward. Right. You can only innovate so much at the car level. Yeah. You said it. If if the infrastructure and the city Cities and the roads aren't, you know, meeting that technology investment. You're never going to be able to do that. And I just say kudos to Ford, by the way, a company unlike other companies we've talked about that decides to cut bait on something <laughs> that's just not working out instead of doubling down. Right.
0: Well, yeah, and and also saying like, look, we're looking out over the next ten years, and over the next ten years, this isn't going to pay off. Right. And maybe let someone else innovate it, and Ford can, of course, build vehicles into that eventually. After the break, we've got restaurants, more tech, and two dividend aristocrats hitting new. All time highs. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Full Money.
1: Well, I left Kentucky back in '49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by, and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry, because always wanted me one.
0: Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. ExxonMobil's third quarter profits were not just a record but a just shy of 20 billion dollars the energy Giants profits were within shouting distance of Apple's quarterly profits Matt shares of ExxonMobil hitting a new all-time high on Friday yeah all good
3: right when oil prices are multi-year highs I mean that that is that is the business but kudos to Exxon you know uh, Darren Woods the CEO was uh, I believe he was on CNBC on Friday and he said, you know, we, we use lean times like we had kind of beginning of the, you know, early on in COVID and kind of the months after to really keep, keep our CapEx programs going, keep exploring to prepare ourselves for the eventual good times like we have today. And I think that's, if you look at ExxonMobil's history, you know, yeah, it's an energy giant, but it's also one of the most innovative companies out there. And they've always been really great capital allocators. Um, and this is just proving the point that you know, if, you, if you can survive the boom and bust cycles of the energy um, space, which you know, which ExxonMobil has done very successfully for decades, you can do quite well as an investor. Um, and I, I, I love this. I'm looking, I'm looking at this chart. Uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're beating too much on Meta, I get it. But it was like a year ago, Meta's stock price, market capitalization, was three times the size of Exxon's. Exxon is now on the verge of being twice the market cap of Meta, and that happened in the space of about a year. So think about the uh, the turnaround there. But yeah, really impressive results. I saw that they raised their dividend um, again. This is, a, of course, a long-time dividend payer, dividend aristocrat company. So you have
0: that as well. Teledoc Health's loss in the third quarter was smaller than expected. Shares of Teladoc up more than twenty percent this week. Jason, is is the worst of it over?
2: Well, I don't want to make a call, but it does feel like we may be finally getting past this mess of an acquisition when they decided to buy Lavongo a couple of years ago. Uh, the good news is there was no further goodwill impairment this go round. So maybe we're on the other side of this thing and then get back to focusing on uh, the core business. I think the results were very respectable. Uh, revenue was up seventeen percent from a year ago to six hundred eleven million dollars. Uh, the biggest driver of that. Growth continues to be BetterHelp, right? Their direct consumer mental health brand that grew over 35% compared to the previous year. Um, and I think on, on that note, too, as much as I hammered them on that Lavongo deal, because I do, BetterHelp has grown and scaled so quickly and so effectively. It's working now at a run rate of $1 billion in revenue. Now, think about that for a second. They bought it for $4.5 million back in 2015. So, yeah, Lavongo, maybe not so great. I was going to say, so you're saying it's the opposite of the Lavongo acquisition. It's the George Costanza of, of, of Livongo's, right? And, and yeah, it, it's, it's at least something to, to, to remember. Um, they ended the quarter with total U.S. paid members $57.8 million versus $52.5 million a year ago. Uh, visit fee only $24.3 million versus $23.6 million a year ago. And average U.S. revenue per member per month was $2.61. That was up 9% from $2.40 a year ago. Utilization, 22.3%, up from 21% a year ago as well. So We're seeing signs that the business is starting to normalize. They talked about pipeline development really taking a turn for the better uh, and in a great position here for the remainder of year and going into 2023. Getting through some unforced errors in a difficult macro environment, but I still like what they're doing.
0: I don't think any of us believe that a company being acquired is reason enough to buy shares of a company. That being said, when you look at where Teladoc Health is today, do you think it is an acquisition target?
2: I'm sure there are folks out there that would like to own it, but I think that Teladoc management would much prefer to be able to forge their own path. So I don't suspect we'll see that, but it's an attractive asset.
0: Shares of Intel up 10% on Friday after third-quarter profits came in higher than expected. The chip maker also told investors it plans to reduce costs by up to $10 billion over the next three years. Cost-cutting is often music to Wall Street's ears, Maddie. It is, but to me,
3: it's it's never the you know it's never the panacea to to what looks like a you know a pretty steady downtrend for Intel's business. I mean, I was looking at the results and trying to figure out. Where the good news is, and why right. investors. Why is st- this stock up? Right. Right. right, I mean, look, revenue—you know, revenue, fifteen point three billion, down fifteen percent year over year, adjusted net income down sixty percent. From a year ago, and so I wonder if it's one of those situations where investors just were expecting much worse, and you know it wasn't as bad as they thought, so that the stock's up. And you know this, yeah, this is a business that probably could could serve could be more efficient. So I think that's a good story if they can save you know three billion in cost reductions by 2023, maybe eight to ten billion in cost savings by the end of 2025 is what they're they're outlining. You also have a dividend, by the way, right now that's yielding over five percent. So, you know, if you're an investor, maybe right now at today's price, there's not a lot that has to go right to really earn a nice return. If you have that dividend in place, which they seem like they're going to defend, and if they can bring some efficiencies, uh, you know, out of the business, bring some costs out, and the cycle comes back, the semi-cycle comes back in a year or two, maybe that that
0: works out for Intel. And not to be overly cynical, but but this is one of those announcements that a company any company not just intel can can go back to over the next three years you know this is something they can point to six 12 months from now and say hey by the way uh, we made that announcement in late 2022 and so far this year this is what we've done toward that goal.
3: Right, right. It's it, you know, it's 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 equivalent to sometimes a new CEO comes in and decides, you know, just throw this kitchen sink out. We're we're cutting all these costs. Business is going to be lean, but guess what? We can look back a year or two from now and say, hey, that's when we made the, the business more efficient, look at our margins today. Businesses come back. That's probably what's happening with Intel.
0: Chipotle's third quarter profits came in higher than expected, but customer visits fell and shares of the burrito company down a bit this week. Jason I say this not just as someone who hosts this show, but also as a shareholder. It is fascinating to watch CEO Brian Nichol and his team continue to walk this line of managing inflation while also managing price increases they're passing along to customers.
2: Yeah, they do a very effective job of it, and with around thirty one hundred stores today, I mean, the management sees an opportunity for this business to get to seven thousand stores in total. Now, if you think that's optimistic, which I do right so let's discount that 20 percent that's still around 5600 stores they could potentially get to and I think likely will um, so to me I mean I think that helps make some sense of today's valuation I mean you get a burrito maker trading at like 44 times forward earnings uh, sounds like a lot but there's a lot of growth to be had there and hey man they make good food so uh, you know when you look at the numbers I think that really tells us a lot sales were up 14 percent for the quarter 2.2 2 billion dollars and that was driven by a six seven uh, 7.6% comp versus a year ago. The in-store sales grew by 22%. Digital sales represented 37%. And if that sounds a little low, it kind of is, but that's a sign that people are getting back out there, and I think that's a good thing, right? Um, Restaurant level margin, 25.3 percent. That was up 180 basis points from a year ago, and ultimately adjusted earnings, nine dollars and fifty-one cents, up 35 percent from 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 last year. Uh, Opened 43 new restaurants, 30 of those with Chipotle. So again, speaking to that convenience, digital ordering, trying to be wherever the consumer wants them to be. They now have 30 million rewards members, up from 24. And a half million just a year ago. Uh, they continue with modest share repurchases, but ultimately that just offsets dilution. The balance sheet remains in great shape, over $1.2 billion in cash and equivalents. Um, and to your point, they're managing the costs and inflation along with pricing. Yeah, it does continue to create headwinds, right? They've seen costs go up 20% over the last two years. They just effectively and just methodically pass through little price increases here and there that customers continue to pay for. And then finally, Chipotle, the tech company, right? I mean, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to seeing how this chippy thing plays out, right? Talk about your chip makers. I mean, <laughs> Chippy's autonomous chip making, like this thing is—it's a chip making robot. And I'm not talking about IT chips, Maddie. I'm talking about those dip them in sausage oh, chips. I like those chips so much yeah. better. Anyway. <laughs> the important <laughs> chips. <laughs> and as I, I think, it's just going to be fun to watch this kind of play out. This very innovative management team—they try new things. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm happy to continue owning these shares. There was a
0: point in time when the growth story for Chipotle involved other cuisines, the shophouse concept. uh, They were, I think, kicking around a burger concept, that kind of thing. Do you get any sense from Brian Nichol that that is something, even on the back burner, that they are considering? Or is that
2: Completely off their radar. I I don't get any sense that he's has any interest in in it at all. And I mean, I I say that as someone I loved those those other efforts. I mean, I thought they made some really good food. Uh, There were tremendous offerings. But it's it's encouraging to see that he really is going to focus on the core concept here.
0: Breakfast. Where are we on breakfast? We've been asking that for years. I know. We've been waiting for it for years. But 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 unlike the other concepts, where you know you could find people who would take a bearish outlook, and ultimately the company just you know decided to put those things away. Breakfast. Who's bearish on breakfast? Feels like the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers, Chris. Global same-store sales for McDonald's rose 9.5% in the third quarter, helping to push shares to a new all time high. And Matt, unlike a lot of restaurant chains, including Chipotle, McDonald's seeing an increase in customer traffic. Yeah, great results for
3: McDonald's. I mean, the one disadvantage that McDonald's has by being such a global company versus a Chipotle, which is still, as far as I know, mostly a North American story, even though their global comp sales are up 9.5% and U.S. comp sales are up 6%. Overall revenue was actually down 5% because you got the stronger dollar, lower traffic in, in a lot of the international stores, um, so that that was affecting them a little bit. And operating profits were actually down 4%, but again in constant currencies up 4%. So McDonald's is sort of the, the growing pains of being a very very large company that scales across the globe um, is, is is affecting them a little bit. Um, but those things are out outside of management's control, and I'd say, you know. Can control currencies or what happens in the macro economy. So the results are fantastic from an operating basis. Also raised their dividend 10%. Um, so a company, a restaurant chain is
0: mature, a brand as mature as McDonald's doing this well is really impressive. What about these comments that CEO Chris Kimchinski made on the call about the McRib, <laughs> where he referred to it as the goat of sandwiches and compared it to Michael Jordan and Tom Brady? Yeah, a little going maybe maybe a stretch, a, a tad stretch. I mean, I've I've actually never had the
3: McRib, so I I can't speak to its you know its religious you know qualities.
0: But well, beyond just sort of you know, to me there's the question of like, really, this is the greatest sandwich of all time? Also. McDonald's is not in the McRib business. They're in the burger business. So, I, I, on a, another level, I just found it odd that he was essentially just pushing aside all the burgers and just saying, no, this limited time offer sandwich we roll out once in a great while, that's the greatest of all time. I was like, really? That seems like a bad message to send. Yeah, it might be. It might be. But can't, can't argue with the results so far. <laughs> just like stocks, some Halloween candies are overvalued while others are flat out undervalued. After the break, we've got our picks for overrated and underrated Halloween candies, as well as a couple of stocks on our radar. So stay right here. You're listening to Motley Full Money. Spooky,
2: scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrinking skulls will shock your soul, seal your
1: dooms and night. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech, you'll shake and shake.
0: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, On The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser and Matt Argersinger. Tis the season, guys. Halloween, just hours away, actually. And as we do every year, let's talk about some overrated and underrated candies, because they're not all fairly rated. Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. What is an overrated Halloween candy, oh, in your opinion, got to be Jolly Ranchers, right? I mean, they're, <laughs> they're small,
3: they're cheap. People throw, you know, people throw them in your bag. They take forever to consume. They make your mouth and turn green and blue for hours. And I just and I they're know. not chocolate. No, they're not chocolate. And I have to sit there and suck on one for an hour before I get to my next piece of candy, which I, it's not <laughs> kind of inconvenient.
2: You know what, man? I mean, I I understand where you're coming from because it's a very polarizing candy, but it's a true story. I actually I made a New Year's resolution one year, several years back to my wife to stop eating jolly ranchers because I couldn't stop. Oh. I had like a bowl of those things just and they just I'd throw 20 of them in there during a day because they're so fruity and delightful. Yeah, but unsatisfying. So you have to keep eating. You're right. And that's why ultimately I made that resolution. And I will say, I fulfilled that resolution. And now my hankering for Jolly Ranchers is almost non existent. So. Right.
0: On some level, were you telling yourself you were eating fruit? You were eating something healthy? It's <laughs> no. Like, well, there's vitamin C, maybe. <laughs> no, I
2: think I was just in denial that I had a problem. <laughs> what do you think is overrated? Oh, I mean, for me, this one came right to the top of mind Twizzlers. I mean, when I see the commercial, even, I'm like, what the heck? I-, I don't get it. It's like chewing on a shoe. I mean, I don't care what flavor, whether it's licorice or strawberry or cherry, whatever. I, I don't get the attraction to Twizzlers. I mean, you know, you find them in those, those variety bags, you just throw them away. They're no good. <laughs>
3: My parents in law love Twizzlers. They accidentally left a bag of the long Twizzlers <laughs> open. I don't know if it was on the floor or something, but their dog consumed this was like a oh week my. ago, consumed an entire bag of large Twizzlers.
0: Well, at least one chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> He's still alive. The dog is still alive. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the other side, Matt. What do you think is an underrated candy? Rollo's. Right, I mean, I, I'm not even a caramel
3: fan, but Rolos, I, I love the taste. They come in the little gold, you know, wrapping, which always feels great.
0: But I just feel like they, I don't, I don't know where they've gone. I don't see Rolos that much anymore. I will say this about Rolos, um, and I, I'm blanking on who makes them, but they clearly hit on something good, and they just decided, no, we don't need to innovate. It's, it's, it's not like oh. Mondelez with
2: Oreos, where it's like, let's <laughs> just try a new flavor. It's Like, no,
0: no, we, no, we've got a hit on our hands. We're just going to keep making
2: yeah, this hit. No need to innovate. What about you, Jason? Chris. I I get so siced for whatchamacallit's. I can't understand how we don't see them in every variety bag everywhere. The big candy bars, I mean, I think in many form they would be even better. I mean, it takes me back to my childhood. You remember the original whatchamacallit that didn't have the caramel in it, now that it has the caramel in it, it's still delicious. I just don't understand how this is not a candy we see everywhere. Whenever I find those things <laughs> in my kids' trick-or-treat baskets, and you know they're junior and senior in high school, but they still somehow come home with candy, I'm looking for those things, <laughs> and I'll sneak them. I'm not scared.
0: And they're not listening to this show, so they don't know probably that you're sneaking them. This weekend, we have an episode dedicated to the business of candy because, uh, as any Hershey shareholder can tell you, uh, it it can be a very lucrative business for shareholders. Um, And one of the things they're doing on that episode is power rankings of Halloween candy. Um, Let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, uh, who's going to be on that episode with his power rankings of candy. But, Dan, underrated, overrated, any thoughts here
1: either way? I just want to echo. That both Jolly Ranchers and Twizzlers are completely trash tier candies. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw them directly in the garbage. No need. Uh, I want to echo my sentiment from previous years of this, Chris, and, and remind everybody that the Milky Way is a joke of a product. <laughs> Just completely awful. Just get a Snickers, it's ten times better. Uh, and then as far as underrated candies, I, I want to go with the humble payday here. The mm. the peanut and caramel combination, I think, is extremely strong. Love it can improve on that. All right, let's get to the stocks
0: on our radar. Dan will hit you with a question. Matt, you're up first. What are you looking at this
3: yeah, week? Yeah, I'm going with one I'm sure a lot of listeners haven't heard of. It's Lennox International, ticker LII. It's actually been around since 1895. They were kind a of pioneer in the uh, in the business of forced air heating for homes. But they make and distribute HVAC and refrigeration products. Record results in the third quarter. They are a dividend night, which means Whoa. they have beaten the market over the last 10 years and raised their dividend by more than 10% annually over the last 10 years. And since their IPO uh, in 1999, up 1,800% Versus the market, which is up only about
0: 350%. Big time performer. Impressive stuff. Dan, question about Lennox International?
1: I don't know about the company, but man, the dividend night label is quickly <laughs> becoming my favorite way to like look at stocks. Like, is this stock a dividend night? That sounds pretty good to me.
0: <laughs> Jason Moser, what are you looking at this week?
2: Uh yeah, a company called time Ticker is S-I-T-M. Uh Sci-time specializes in designing precision timing microelectromechanics systems, or MEMS. For short, wow. not to be wow. confused with some metrics we discussed earlier in the week, like perhaps you know DTRG or something like that. Right. Um, but but regardless, this is a smaller, more efficient ah. chips. Essentially, is what they are, right? Rugged, accurate, durable, effective. It's it's really about moving away from quartz <laughs> and towards silicon, which is a better timing keeping uh, mechanism. It's it's better than the legacy quartz based system. So that's that's what SciTime fo- uh, focuses on. Their solutions are used for everything from data centers uh, to communication. Companies to those personal devices that we have in our pocket, Chris. Right, and so as the world moves towards more uh, technology, uh, faster means of communication, the more connected we become, really, the more MEMS timing systems are going to be required to make all of this happen, which just plays right into their wheelhouse. Uh, earnings for timeout out on uh, Wednesday, November second. Given the challenges we've seen in the greater semiconductor space, it will be noteworthy to hear what they have to say.
0: Dan, question about SciTime? time.
1: Now, Jason, to say that this market is somewhat saturated is a little bit of an understatement when it comes to chips, and you know your various silicon processors and everything. Uh, what? It, about side time makes it special and interesting for investing other than I don't know a Taiwan semiconductor
2: well I mean I think ultimately it's that specialization in moving away from quartz to silicon and their their thesis and this is one that seems to be playing out is it is a more superior timing uh, timekeeping device and so that's what they're playing into and you know they sell their uh, their chips to to big distributors who then sell to end customers and it's worth noting that Apple really is one of the one of their largest end customers if not the largest end customer.
1: What do you want to add to your watch list, Dan? And no surprise. I'm going to go with the dividend night. <laughs> I'll go with Lennox International. There you go, Dan. Matt
0: and Chase Moser, Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.